Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me once again is the glorious League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Pretty good. I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, we've got to get more of these sorts of episodes into the show that really cater for English Rugby League and British Rugby League. So this is going to be a good one. Yep, because so, uh, today we've got a, a uh, guest. You can find him on Twitter at the RSW. It's Richard Shaw Wright. How you going, mate? I'm not too bad. How are you? All good, all good. How's the uh, weather over there in England? We've got to start with the obvious. Well, I'm just looking out of my window now, and it is raining. So uh, typical autumn weather. Nice. Or, or summer. <laughs> or summer, yeah, any time of year, pretty much. But typical rugby league weather in yeah. this country, at least, anyway. That's right. Now, um, we'll, we'll get right into it. The uh, the Great Britain Lions are on their first tour in donkey's years, and it's been pretty disappointing so far. How's how's the uh, the performances been received over there in England? Well, you see, we're all, I say we, uh, the world of social media and the fans, uh, they're not too happy with Wayne Bennett. Um, obviously, super coach, greatest coach of all time, this and the other. Uh, but his squad selection has not gone down too well. Obviously, uh, Gretman going now with, uh, what, two wingers, and now we've got one winger. Um, one of the best fullbacks in Super League playing in the centres. Um no Welsh people, this being the Great Britain tour. There is an outstanding Welsh player that could have been selected, but he's not been selected. Uh, people aren't happy with heritage players, which obviously, you know, in Australia, you're not bothered about, are you? Your team's full of people from the South Sea Islands. You don't care. But we do for some reason in rugby league. We don't care in cricket. We can have as many foreigners as we want. <laughs> mainly South Africans or, or Kiwis. But, uh, yeah, if it happens in rugby league, then you know, it's a very bad, very bad thing to have all these foreigners involved. So, Basically, obviously the results haven't helped and, uh, yeah, people don't like Wayne Bennett. So we're in this strange situation now where people actually want Wayne in, who they all hated when he was a Wigan coach and thought played boring rugby. So I don't really know what's going on. The, the rugby league people in the, the UK, or mainly the north of England, I guess, were a strange bunch of people at times. It's weird that, as you say about their selections, it feels as though it's almost a team that was selected based on what was going on maybe about three years ago. Um, you know, and as you say, I mean, I was surprised to see Hardacre in the centres. Um, I've said for a while that Wayne Bennett, his last probably 10 years as a coach, he can get your team to 85% of the way, but that last little bit, he kind of doesn't really have anymore. Um, and I, I get that feeling with this, Great Britain team and even England when he was coaching England in that he can get the team putting in an 80 minute performance he can get their defense sorted out but he's just going to get them to compete he's not going to be able to get he's not going to be able to coach them to do something a little bit extra or a little bit different anymore what do you I mean do you think that that's the case having watched them so far I think that would be you know, I don't watch enough of the NRL to know how well Mr. Bennett is, has done with South this year or with Brisbane in the past or whatever, but it does seem we're just that one step away, but we've always been that one step away, whether it's Wayne Bennett coaching or Steve McNamara. Um, I mean, I saw all three tests last year against New Zealand in the autumn, uh, live and in person, and we looked great in the first two tests, and then for some reason the third test against uh, the Kiwis at Ellen Road just didn't turn up. So it it is a question over those selections, really. And, and you mentioned three years ago, and Ryan Hall was great three years ago, but 
as I said, I don't watch much of the NRL because of time difference and because I've got other stuff to do usually on a morning. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Hall's hardly played for the Roosters, has he? Yeah, they played for Leeds in the last couple of years, been injured a lot. So he's the obvious one to pick out. And, you know, I looked at some stats and apparently his stats are good in the NRL this year when he has played. But then you don't take Regan Grace, who, yes, he's young. Yes, he's not the finished article. Yes, he's not as good defensively, perhaps. But at least A, he's young. B, he needs the experience. And C, he's Welsh. He would have actually added to the Great Britain squad. And when you go with two winners, both of which are the wrong side of 30, that's going to be the thing people call you out on. And we lost the World Cup final thanks to, what, an ankle tap. Maybe Jermaine McGilvery could have scored that try, taking us to Golden Point or whatever. But he does still feel that, you know, even Tonga have overtaken us now, as, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and obviously at the weekend by beating Australia, which we can't seem to do consistently. Because that's the thing. I, I actually said that um, I'd, have, I'd have preferred to have Regan Grace in that side ahead of Ryan Hall. Because for, for the failings you get for someone who's so young, he's just got raw speed as well compared to Ryan Hall. And, you know, when, when the uh, Lions go and spread the ball out wide... The, they go from the centre to the winger and they just go, oh, hang on, we've just gone to a slower person. <laughs> and it, it seems counterintuitive. Like you, you, can, you have to throw the ball to the, the first man in from the winger because he's the bloke with the speed. The winger's just useless. He's just slow. His knees are shot. Um, he's just a big body. I don't know why they pick yeah. him at all. Well, I did joke that he'd probably save some money on airfares because he's already there in Australia, wasn't he? But Because uh, <laughs> I, mean, I forget that it's a long way from Australia to New Zealand, but still probably cheaper than coming from uh, Manchester or whatever. But it, it does seem a very odd one. And obviously, I, the squad selection is interesting, isn't it? There's this big panel of people involved. You've got a couple of assistant coaches. You've got Jamie Peacock's the team manager. I don't know what he does on that role. And all the other various assistant coach was in the England setup. Kevin Sinfield somewhere in there as well. But we know, and everyone knows, that the only person who's picking his squad is Wayne Bennett. And how much Super League he can watch alongside his day job is difficult to work out. You know, he can listen to as many people as he wants, but he's the one who, at the end of the day, picks this squad. So, you know, Ryan Hall's the obvious one to pick out. Jeremy Gilby's not had a great year for Huddersfield, but then again, Huddersfield haven't had a great year. So they've... You know, I can see why he selected him based on his recent past in the internationals, but it just it just seems to be an odd squad. And you, you like to see explosive pace. Everyone likes to see pace. What's the thing that everyone remembers about Martin Afire? It's his pace. People don't remember him when he was uh, old and slow at Salford and wasn't able to do his job anymore. And I don't know. I I, I just wonder why or who or who Wayne Bennett listens to and. Does he actually listen to them anyway? The answer to that question is probably no, isn't it? More than one. Yeah, and the the thing about this team too, and you mentioned the lack of pace. Like it, it went on the weekend. It seemed like Jackson Hastings in the second half was the only one that was going to make some sort of break, it, because there really is that lack of pace across the park. And it, I think that it's you know when you look at all of these other teams at international level now, there's so many speedsters. I mean, I, I said Addo Carr is the fastest human I've ever seen in real life. Um, but all of the teams have like that breakout speed. But this, I feel as though this Great Britain team, whether Wayne Bennett has thought to himself, look, 
I'll I'll have two big bodies on the wing and I'll kind of use them to do a lot of work up the middle of the park like you used to get out of Lottie Takiri and Wendell Saylor. Um, but the, just the lack of speed out wide, I, I really do. I feel like it's absolutely killing Great Britain, unfortunately. Um, we talked going into this 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 Lions tour about you know the lineup of teams that Great Britain had to play against and how difficult it was. And I, I think that unlike in previous years, I mean, you go back 15 years or so, I think that there was uh, the way that Great Britain rated their team was pretty high. And I feel as though there's been a bit of a realisation over the last 10 years, especially that there's so, so much work to do. Did you, was there ever a thought that they might do this Lions tour and not win a game? Like, even to us, it, we knew it would be difficult, but it's kind of shocking to think that they might get home and not have won a game. I think the expectation is still we should beat Tonga and obviously beat them in the semi-finals of the World Cup just. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite their off-field shenanigans or whatever has been going on, it's not changed anything, have they? The players are still happy working under the coach they've currently got and you know, all the Saints fans and Hallam's fans are very excited about uh, Christian Wolf now. He's uh, the seat in action uh, for Tonga. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see the point of having a Great Britain until when in the World Cup in two years' time, Great Britain aren't playing. It's almost mm-hmm. just a way of selling some shirts, which have gone down well, apparently, which is good for the RFL because they need some cash. But you know, we've got an England team playing in a World Cup in two years' time. We're supposed to be playing Australia in a Test Series next year, which everyone knows is going to happen, but no one knows when and where. We've got some good players in Britain. We've got some good players in Super League. It's not as bad as people in Australia think. It's not the, it's not the NRL, but it can't be because we haven't got the money or the very tippy-toppy players playing over here anymore for uh, the reasons, obviously, I've stated that the best competition's in Australia and the best money is in Australia. Obviously, losing the likes of Sam Burgess don't help, but I, th- I don't think he was necessarily planned in for this tour anyway. Um, Sean O'Loughlin, another experienced player who's missing, but Sean O'Loughlin was the wrong side of 30. Sam Burgess was you know, approaching 30. Where are the young players going to be given a chance? There's, there's a lot of upset that you know Blake Austin, Jackson Hastings are in the squad. Um, where are the young halfbacks coming through over here? I think I think generally in the last 10, 15 years, we've become a much more, um, much more negative sport over here in, in every sense of, uh, in every sense of the sport. And it doesn't help that obviously we've gone out and lost these first two tests, but we beat New Zealand last year 2-1 in the test series at home. We look good in that test series at home, but we don't seem to be able to produce the, Next cab off the rank as the Australians and, and New Zealand perhaps can do. And, and obviously, I think people forget here that rugby league is not the top sport or anywhere near to the top sport that it is in Australia. And that you obviously, there and New Zealand, have a great seam of talent coming through from the islands as well. But, you know, we used to have, you know, look back 20 years or so, the likes of Jonathan Davies coming over from Rugby Union. Well, that seam of talent is closed now as well, hasn't it? Because they can pay the money uh, legally and openly that we can't pay anymore. So we have lost a lot of talent in our pool. 
because I think well, I've just become I've become very negative now. You you've got me here thinking, oh. I know, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing. Follow with sex like, test. <laughs> well, oh. we've got to talk about something good in a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, um, do you think there's something that's happened within the structure of, of the rugby league codes over there? You know, they've got the three different grades. Is there something wrong with that setup that's not bringing through juniors? I think, um, <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, I'll give you an example in football. Look at Chelsea at the moment. They're not able to sign any place. They're having to blood their youngsters. And they're doing well with that at the minute. And no doubt if they, uh, when they're able to sign foreigners again, they'll be spending hundreds of billions of pounds on these kids will never get a chance again. Uh, we had licensing. We had franchising. Call it what you want in this country. I'm, I'm a fan of the system. You know, I, I support Wakefield Trinity. We've got a terrible ground. Everyone knows that. Uh, homely. Um, it's a bit of a dump. You know, it's been there since... Queen Victoria was on the throne. We were trying to make it better. Um, licensing gave a chance for clubs, because obviously in Australia there's no promotion and relegation. You're all, all happy to have your second string teams in a competition where they're not expected to try and get promotion or not expected to do anything. Just be there as a way of developing talent. Our second tier teams, third tier teams, some of them, not all of them, some of them are well aware of their place in the in the pecking order, but some of them want to be Super League teams and want to be at the top table. And I think the unfortunate thing is, you know, a lot of our teams are based in small towns, industrial towns, or what used to be industrial towns, and the money's not there. You know, we haven't got 100 teams in Sydney like you have in your top competition. We've got a team on the outskirts of Manchester, we've got Leeds, and then all these other towns and cities across the uh, the north of England. We had London for a bit. Now we've got Toronto in, but we don't know what's going to happen with them long term. And the Catalans in the south of France have obviously had a poor season. So that takes out two of the top, two of the teams from England already, doesn't it? Because you've got the team from the south of France and Toronto, who, let's face it, are pretty much uh, based in Manchester anyway. So we had licensing, getting back to the point. We had that opportunity where there's no relegation. You can put youngsters in there. But now, again... Relegation is there. Teams will sign the same. You know, we've got Josh Drinkwater going around three or four different teams every season or whatever. Um, we'd rather spend money. I don't want to call Josh Drinkwater a second-rate Aussie because that's probably unfair to second-rate Aussies. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that, that kind of player who's never going to make it in the NRL, never going to go. You know, Jackson Hastings will probably go back to the NRL one day, won't he? We all we're all aware of that. He's all a very he's a very good player and whatever, and we know why he's here and why he's not over there right now. That kind of import is good. The import that comes over and, you know, just takes up a wage and a squad in uh, a quarter spot is not good, which could be used to develop a young player. And I think that's the frustration that clubs don't want to do that because they fear relegation. They fear losing 1.8 million pounds in funding or whatever it is they get from Super League at the minute. So we've got rid of licensing. We've brought back promotion relegation. Yes, it's made the second tier slightly more exciting, but people don't want to accept that for the size of sport we are, can we really afford to have 30 professional stroke, semi-professional clubs, many of which want to be in the top division when there isn't the money or interest, you know, some of these are, are small towns and you're expecting them to be able to make the money to provide for a squad that not rely on a benefactor. It's not going to happen. You know, 
unfortunately, Russell Crowe's not from Keithley. He's not <laughs> buying the coupons, is he? So, <sighs> there's not enough money. There's too many teams, almost, who want to be something they can't be. We all want to follow the dream. We all, it's like football. Bournemouth are in the top division. Everyone's going, oh, Bournemouth, little Bournemouth are in the top division. Yeah, but they've got foreign ownership. The, the dream in British sport is based on promotion and relegation. But unfortunately, I don't think rugby league necessarily can sustain that. And people don't like hearing that. But it's possibly true. You don't have that problem in Australia. So we copy many things off you. And that's the thing we should copy. But we don't because we don't want to upset these little clubs who do very important things in the community, do very important things in you know providing a place for players to develop, but ultimately cannot compete at the top level. And a lot of them are struggling yeah. too. You know, oh, yeah, that, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, it's not helpful. I mean, we even had the story a few weeks ago of Swinton Lions and the board saying that they wanted to change the name, nothing else, to Manchester to try and tap into that bigger city market and the fans were un, you know unhappy about it and the, the move didn't go ahead i know there was other you know politics and whatnot behind the scenes but still you think that pursuing a bigger market and trying to get better and stronger would be the first thing everyone fans included should be right behind uh, and swinton haven't played in swinton i think since 1992 now when station road got <laughs> closed down um so they've been a nomadic club since then their crowds are in the hundreds so you, I, I don't like saying these things because people say ah oh, you know you, you want to close the trap door and close off everything to these clubs or whatever but the fact remains that unfortunately there isn't the money or the interest for every team to survive you know we, we the big situation with bradford who've been terribly mismanaged for the past what, 15 years, probably even longer since their glory days. And, you know, they don't even have a home anymore. They were the Super League champions, the World Club champions, which we know is an important uh, title to own uh, if you're British. Uh, and now they don't have a home. They share with Dewsbury. And uh, I, don't, I, I don't know how much you know about the Bradford situation. This is the ridiculous thing about it at the moment. They've just been uh, taken over, or partly taken over, and a couple of the shareholders already own other clubs in the same division. Um, yeah, it's, weird. <laughs> it's like we tried to. How it's funny because we start, I started seeing stuff about it on on Twitter, and so I thought I'll I'll start having a look at this, and it's just you go deeper and deeper, and the more that you know about it, the less you know about it. <laughs> it's kind of weird like that, especially with the ownership of the ground. Like me and Andrew were trying to work out: does the Rugby Football League actually own the ground, or do they own the the management rights to Oddsall Stadium? And then the idea that they're going to have to pay £200,000 to keep the stadium up to standard, but no games will be played there next year is, it's kind of outrageous. Well, this is where you, you go back to people dreaming big. People think somehow we can throw millions of pounds at Oddsall and turn it into some kind of, well, it used to be nicknamed the Wembley of the North, nicknamed it and, and rebuild it some kind of centre of excellence for rugby league, but we haven't got the money in the game. And when we're spending £200,000 to just keep it, afloat for a year you know think of what that money could do in terms of development in terms of schools in mm. terms of young players and, and, and you know young people at clubs across the country and we're wasting it on the ground that's not going to be played at obviously you would expect that they think Bradford will move back there next year under their new ownership but that's the sport spending 
£200,000 to the benefit of just one club. It's, it doesn't stick well in the throat for me because Michael has been in financial trouble in the past and he never had the same level of sympathy from the wider sport. And we certainly didn't have the governing body pay for our stadium. Um, so it kind of sticks in the throat that Bradford would get all this help. But, you know, we all want to see everyone be successful. But unfortunately, it's sport and not everyone can be successful. Not everyone can be the Super League champions every year. And Bradford are having to pay now for the mistakes they've made in the past. And, you know, the people involved at the moment, and I think, well, a couple of them may have been involved in the past, but, you know, the ones who have the purse strings at the moment weren't involved and they're having to sort out the errors and the misdemeanors of the past. And, you know, the RFL did a investigation apparently the other week, which, oh yeah, no one's to blame. It's all right. Just, just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there really needs to be a proper investigation to what's happened. I think the, the more this rumbles on, the more uh, clamor there will be that for that. And the interesting thing is when the truth comes out, how that affects the sport wide, uh, in a wider sense. And I think there's a lot of uh, arse covering, shall we say, at the moment, involving the Bradford Bulls. <laughs> it's a weird so system there. Sorry. I was going to say, it's a weird system there, because I think one of the board members or chairs, something like that, within the RFLs now owns a big share of the odds or ground, don't they? Is that, is that what happened? I'm not sure who exactly owns odds. I know the RFL have the lease on it. Um, but I, I don't know if the council are on Odsall or I'm, I'm assuming they do in Bradford but it's, it's basically a hole in the ground and, and unfortunately I mentioned Bellevue, Wakefield's ground hasn't you know, <laughs> seen much better days the same goes for Odsall, unfortunately it costs a lot of money to keep the uptake on these old stadia, as you can see with the £200,000 they've got to pay uh, or it's going to cost this year to keep it mothballed almost so that's a millstone around their neck. But there isn't the money at the moment in the country to build new stadia where they can play. So the RFL, in helping Bradford in the past, or what they thought was helping Bradford, have uh, really put a millstone around their neck and the, the neck of the, the sport as a whole. Because, that, as I say, that £200,000 split it between the clubs could pay for something decent. I mean, you they spend it on crap players, that's what they always do, rugby league clubs when they get given money over here but you know, you've got Nigel Wood's involvement obviously the head of the International Rugby League newly named board he's not actually on the board of Bradford but his family is so you've got this bizarre link between the head of International Rugby League which I'm not sure is as important as probably you think the title is and a club in the second tier of British Rugby League it's just all it's all very old and all very incestuous, but I think that's just rugby league in this country in general. Do you think there's a risk that um, the RFL might sell their share in the ground just to see if they can make some money and, you know, do something crazy like turn it into a Tesco or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, think they, I think they should sell it because they're obviously not making any money from it at the moment. It's costing them money. But if they sell it, who do they sell it to? And they've got the same problem. In, in helping Bradford by buying it, if they sell it, it's no doubt going to be someone, as you say, who's probably going to look to do something with it. I mean, I don't know what the status of the ground is, whether you can build on it, what you can do with it or not. I'm all for filling it in and just turning it into a car park or something. Might make some money then overall. But the, the whole 
situation is based on someone thinking they're doing the right thing by helping a club. But in the end, it's going to just bring a lot of people down, it seems, with the way it's going at the moment. I'll tell you what, uh, talking about filling it in and turning it into a car park, that's pretty harsh. But it works for the Leeds Rhinos. They're a car park for the cricket club. So, <laughs> um, you know, I like it. I like your thinking. Um, some um, of the, let's look, let's look at some positive things. The championship this year, it had a little bit of something special about it, didn't it? I mean, you had the, you obviously had Toronto in there, you had Toulouse, but a team like York as well. I mean, that, there was, there was a little bit of excitement around the championship, unlike we've seen for, well, as far as I can remember, quite honestly, it, it really, it really gained a lot of attention. I mean, was that something that, I mean, that's what we felt like over here. Was that something that was happening over in the UK as well? Yeah, I think it's all down to Toronto, really, because they've, you know, Sky have the right to show Championship Rugby League over here, but they haven't shown much interest in showing it outside of the Summer Bash, which is the Championship answer to the Magic Weekend. Um, but Toronto bring their own TV deal or they pay for coverage of their games or have done for most of the season. So it has provided more coverage of Toronto, which obviously has gone worldwide with defeats. They're an exciting team. They've got lots of big-name players for the division. Brian McDermott coming in as coach at the start of the year, obviously. Very successful with the league. Fell apart there towards the end, but he's rebuilding himself, his uh, reputation there at Toronto. To lose your mention, who always seem to be there all day about, so they're not quite getting up into Super League. I think people are just waiting for them to make that final step so we get that French derby in the top flight. And York, York are the big one, as you mentioned, because a couple of years ago, they were going bust. They've been turned around. They did very well last year in League One to win the competition against, uh, you know, I mentioned Bradford again. Bradford you know, had a very good squad in League One last year, but weren't able to get past York, who won the title. And then this year, went close again. Featherstone were a great story. You know, one of the traditional clubs, and probably one I refer to, who are too small as a place to be in Super League. You've got that ridiculous thing of a little village near Castleford versus Toronto for a place in Super League. Um, but, you know, they do well to punch above their weight at the moment to Featherstone. It's interesting to see how the competition goes next year. London are obviously back in, but we've lost the sexiness of Toronto. And it, it is, again, it's going back to what is the what is the championship? What is it, what is it there for? We, we have some good teams at the top, but down towards the bottom, obviously, we've seen Swinton haven't got a uh, a name or a board of directors. Rochdale's board of directors quit as well. So there are issues in the championship, but at the top end, it's a very exciting competition. We're probably at that stage where Super League could be expanded a little bit, but if it was, would that completely nullify the championship and League One? Because if you take the clubs out of the championship who are big enough for Super League, does that mean there's much point to the championship as a competition for teams to get up into Super League, I don't know, but it's been it's been an exciting season and it's been good to see on TV. It's going to be interesting to see next season without Toronto in there how many championship games are on TV. And I'm suggesting that's probably just going to be the ones at the Summer Bash again. Yeah, because no, it was like, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, you go, man. You go. We did. Uh, it, it was interesting because, like, for so long the championship was re- has really been ignored for the most part, and as you say, Toronto helped that definitely, but. It almost opened the door for there being a possibility of the championship being England's main competition and Super League 
being because obviously now two of the teams are, are not from England. So it opened the door up for maybe Super League being able to look at those expansion opportunities in traditional English clubs, seeing that there would be a life in the championship. And, it, you know, if they can get enough of a uh, a supporter base going amongst those championship clubs, a financially pretty sound one as well. That doesn't mean that English clubs need to overextend themselves to have to compete with the likes of like Leeds or or, you know, uh, Catalan, Toronto, teams like that, uh, you could see a future where the championship is a really great English competition. I think the problem is, and it's the key problem with everything is money. If there was the yeah. TV deal, which provided the clubs with as much as they get in Super League right now, which I think is 1.8 million, which covers your salary cap, then yes, the championship could be a very viable competition for clubs to be in. They wouldn't be too upset to be outside of Super League, but that money isn't there. And, and that's the concern. I think a lot of people get carried away with viewing figures over here. Um, yes, the viewing figures have been fine for the championship games. You know, the winning grand final got over 100,000 viewers, but no one's clamoring for uh, money to be pumped into the women's game at the moment. Well, a lot of people aren't because they want it in their own sport or their own uh, team rather than uh, the game as a whole. So the championship could be something, but it's all about money. It's, you know, if, if someone pumped in a lot, if, you know, if the, I don't know, there's a real, I can't really compare it to the NRL or anything because, you know, it's a standalone competition on its own. The, the, the problem is it, because it's part of this pyramid in this country, there's always going to be, you know, if you, if you look then, if we're beginning in New York, which, you know, I've got massive question marks over or Ottawa or all that you know, wherever else is coming in. They've got to replace somebody in Super League right now. So you're looking yeah. at the table, you think, well, they're going to replace a Wakefield or a Castleford or a whoever. Can they bring to the sport what those clubs bring now? Well, they can probably bring more money and more interest from a, a wider place in the world. I always worry, though, with these... My, my, my question is, you know, look at Toronto, great. So, have they got a TV deal in Canada? Apparently they have, but it's, on, it's, not, the, it's not the biggest station, but you wouldn't expect it. And I think this is part of the problem. People think rugby league is bigger than it is over here, and it's not small. We're a big minority sport. We do well for what we are. But if I were, say I'm, 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 I'm going to bring in uh, Canadian football, I'm going to bring a CFL franchise to Leeds, I'm going to play it headingly. No British TV station is going to be clamouring for the rights to the CFL because there's a team in Leeds, because no one cares about Canadian football over here. So we have to be more realistic. You know, ESPN aren't going to be throwing a billion pounds at rugby just because there's a team in Toronto and a team in New York when no one in America knows the sport. And the same goes for rugby union. They're trying as well, aren't they? But it's very hard to crack that market. I'm not sure if we necessarily can. There's nothing wrong with dreaming or hoping but we need to be a little bit more, more realistic at times as well. I wonder if it's ever been considered over there for English rugby league clubs in any of the, the three pro, semi-pro comps to align themselves with a, a Premier League team. Um, I'm trying to think back now. There's a, there a great time in the mid-90s when Sir John Hall owned Newcastle United. And this, he didn't own a rugby league club because uh, Gateshead didn't exist at that point. 
But he did, they had a rugby union team, obviously the Falcons, who still exist, they moved down from Gateshead, well, changed the name from Gateshead rather to Newcastle, whatever it was. And they bought a basketball team and an ice hockey team. They tried to build a Newcastle United sporting club. And the problem we've got in this country is everyone loves football, which, of course, is an exaggeration. Yeah. And football takes up so much space in the national consciousness that every other sport is scrabbling to get any kind of coverage whatsoever. So I don't know if it would work or not. I, I can't see a reason why not to try. You know, Leeds, and Le- uh, Leeds United and Leeds Rhinos, when they've, you know, Rhinos have played a couple of games at Allen Road, did a bit of cross-promotion. But, you know, Leeds United get 30-odd thousand people. Are they interested in watching rugby league in the off-season? I'm not sure. Wigan and Athletic and Wigan and Warriors fans apparently hate each other. Um, I don't know why. Because um, Wigan and Athletic always used to be them as well. Well, <laughs> that's, that's true. I think the bad example is there, isn't it? Wigan and Leeds are everyone hates. Uh, and, and then, but then you look and where's the other Premier League football teams? And I know uh, you have to go further afield, wouldn't you, and try and you know tie up some kind of. Uh, I'm trying to think of rugby league team nicknames and uh, football team. Well, St Helens and Southampton doesn't really work. There's a bit of a gap there between the two. But I think we need to do something to build the TV audience. Is we worry too much about getting people in the grounds, but. Everything's a TV sport these days. You know, everyone watches the people watch the NFL, but you know, you're never going to get to America. Mm-hmm. I watch the NRL sometimes, but I'm not. <laughs> you know, I've seen I've seen Australia on TV. It looks nice, but it's a long way away, and I can't be bothered flying for that long. So I'll just stick with watching it on the telly, and I'll pick a team to support. That's how the NFL built over here. Was it was on Channel Four? <coughs> excuse me, in the early '80s, uh, showing games a week behind. People bought uh, caught onto it because it was well-packaged, well-edited, so it made it look more exciting than perhaps it was. Pick the team, follow the sport. We need to somehow find something that breaks through that people think, yes, this rugby league is something worth watching. The problem is our highlights programme is on on a Monday night, Sunday morning at midnight, and only available in the north of England. And when it's repeated, it's a Tuesday afternoon at one o'clock when everyone's at work. So we haven't really got that way of breaking through. But I'm no, this, this is me as a 39-year-old thinking about television. Everything's on the internet. Everything's YouTube. Everything's Twitter. I can't find the highlights. Or yesterday, I couldn't find the highlights of the Australia Tonga game, which is the biggest thing that's happened in the international rugby league in years. And I can't find them anywhere for free on YouTube. What's going on? Uh, they're on the NRL website, I believe. Oh, are they? I should have looked there. But yeah. then you've got to go find them, haven't you? you know, yeah, we, you we, do. You still do. The, we, we put up the uh, press conferences afterwards on, on our YouTube um, and it got massive views compared to what we usually yeah. get. Obviously, yeah. everyone in Tonga's found it's brilliant, you know. But the, the NRL's a bit scared of YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like people putting up videos on there. They go and delete them all. They're, they're really, really, really backwards about that. Um, but one thing about TV rights, I often wondered why um, the RFL hadn't approached Fox Sports in Australia and said, would you mind kicking in a few bucks for the rights over here? Because... Over here, we've got a, a rugby league channel 24-7. And so because of the time difference, you, they could have every Super League game live and every NRL game live. There'd be no crossover. It, I don't know why Fox Sports wouldn't think of such a thing here. And like the RFL wouldn't get much money, but they'd get money they never would have got otherwise because they're getting it from another country. And so it would help subsidise whatever they need for over in Eng- over there in England with the TV rights over there. We probably have a confidence issue where we're not necessarily sure about our status in the sport and what we can do 
with what we've got. So I would say that perhaps we just don't feel confident enough to ask for money. <laughs> say, you know, well, you, here's some content for you. Have it for a couple of quid or whatever. Give us something in return. I think that's probably an issue. We, you know, talk about our negative viewpoints on things. Perhaps it is the uh, lack of confidence we have in our own product because it is a good product. You know, it's, of course it is. It's probably as good as it used to be. I think it's. I think it probably is in a sense that the game's evolved. Everything changes. You can't look back at the rugby league from the winter era over here and compare it to today because the sport is completely different. Yeah. Um, so it's not as we grew up with, but that doesn't mean it's still not good. It's still better than many other sports out there that get plenty of media coverage. Um, so I think we just need to be a little bit more confident. We, we inside, you know, can criticise as much as we think, but actually on the outside, people who watch for the first time, whatever, think, bloody hell, what's going on here? You see all those videos of people, you know, Americans watching it and go, wow. You know, we, we, we've got all these players in pads stopping every two minutes, or two seconds rather, and you're just getting up and playing on. So we have got a good product. It's just to be more confident in selling it to more people. Exactly. And it's, it's funny, we were talking about this with Tony Collins in that, you can talk to rugby league people in the north of, of England and they will say it's the greatest sport in the world. And then, and I used to say this to them, like, why don't we try and get a team in Birmingham? And they'd be like, oh, people in Birmingham don't want to watch rugby league. That's a ridiculous idea. And it's this weird sort of, you know, it's like the greatest sport ever, but no one's going to like it. Um, and you, you wonder where, you know, how do you break through that? You know, because obviously the game needs to expand to get that TV audience in big markets in the UK, big media markets, and that's going to generate more money for the game. But it's hard to get it from like out of first gear because you're fighting against people that they love the game. They think it's fantastic, but they think no one else will watch it. It's a very strange situation. And I think there's, there's always that. Uh, fear that if you put a team in Birmingham or a team in wherever, Newcastle, that that is going to mean that your team, your club, that probably no one watches, is going to be pushed down the pecking order somewhat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the fear of everything involved in rugby league in this country is the fact that my little club's going to be diminished because of a team somewhere else. We don't look at the bigger picture. We look too much at how our own clubs are doing and not everyone else. But, you know, if, if 200 people go watch a game in Birmingham, does that is that better than 200 people watching a game somewhere in the north of England? Well, mm. probably is because they're probably new people who've never seen rugby league before. And yeah. we do need to get more audiences out there. I mean, we've got the... the uh, England-Jamaica game, a couple of weeks ago, England, England Knights versus Jamaica at uh, Headingley, which was the perfect place to hold it uh, because there's a large West Indian community in Leeds. And there were plenty of people there from that community who had probably never seen a rugby league game before. And I, I go to Headingley quite a bit during the season. You don't see as many people from the West Indian community as you saw there at that game a couple of weeks ago. And now it's a matter of how do we get those people back in? Well, we don't know when Jamaica are playing again until the World Cup. We don't know when England are playing. And the rugby league season doesn't start again until February. So how are we going to find these people? We need new people. We need new audiences. We need new money. And I think we're just scared of doing that at times. Maybe you need a nines competition. 
and just get every <laughs> every team from Super League, Championship, League One, all to go together in one big weekend, and they all compete in the same competition in the Nines Comp. Well, you see, this is a great idea in in concept, isn't it? Everyone loves Nines um, now after the last couple of weeks or whatever, and obviously the Auckland Nines. But the problem is, and you know it and I know it, that after the initial hype, when you turn up at the ground, it'll be full of under-19s players you've never heard of, and the star players will not play because the clubs won't want to risk them. And that's that's part of the problem. But again, it's how do you, as a sport, we can promote nines as a different thing, mm. as they've done in, in union with the sevens. And none of the players in the sevens are anyone, anyone's ever heard of, are they? And no one really cares because they're all there just for a piss-up. So we can do that over here. But again, are we confident enough to to build something around not necessarily the sport, but to say, you know, here's here's a, an event to come and have fun. I the darts, the darts is the example. Love the darts. I know it's it's kind of filtering through in Australia. We have those World Series events over there. Have you ever been to the darts? Uh, once I've been to the darts, yes. Once, right. And could you see anything that was going on on stage? Not not hugely, no. Very, very noisy too. Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone was having a bit. It was like, because see, I come from the the country here in Australia. It's kind of like going to a country pub. Everyone's having a yarn. Everyone's having a good old time, having a laugh, and there's something going on in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) And and people people are willing to pay 20, 30 quid. So I sit in a giant pub where they can't see what's going on because it's fun, because it's exciting. Because people will occasionally look up at the big screen and see something's going on, and they enjoy it. And we've got to sell an idea of, you know, I think this is what they wanted the Magic Weekend to be. The problem with the Magic Weekend is, it's great if you're a rugby league fan. Oh, you get to see all the rugby league teams in one place. But you're having to invest three lots of 80 minutes a day in teams that you might yeah. not care about or know about. At least with nines, it's that short form. But you've got to sell the experience. You've got to say, you know, we have the, the fan zone at the Magic Weekend. It's just people trying to flog you overpriced tat. You know, there's no real buy-in there. You've got to give people a reason to come to an event that is not just, here's some I, sport that you might I, like. I think you've tapped into a, an idea here that could work, and that is have rugby league players playing darts. Playing darts. Well, uh, this is <laughs> a, a, an idea which I'm sure in the future I might want to expand on, but... It's anything you can do with it. We we need to find ways of making our players more visible to the general public at large. And if that is doing you know, daft things, then then so be it. But at the moment, you know, if you ask people in the street, name a rugby league player, they're probably going to go back to the likes of Martin Afaya and whoever from the early nineties. When yeah, you know, and, and, and I think you know Formula One going on at the moment. Lewis Hamilton's just won his sixth world title. People don't care anymore because it's not on the BBC. It's not on national TV, free to air every week. When Nigel Mansell won the world title in the early 90s, 1992, and Damon Hill won it a few years later, every race was live on the telly. People watched it because we didn't have lots of live sport on TV. Now we're in a world where there's lots of live sport on TV, but you have to pay for it. So where our names were famous 20-odd years ago, 30 years ago, they don't have that same profile now. We we need to find a way of making stars because people like following stars. Um, I've got a question for you as a Wakefield fan. And this is a question I've wanted to ask a Wakefield fan for a long, long time. Um, Castleford is right next door 
Why yeah. doesn't why don't Wakefield and Castleford work together, build a stadium right on the boundary line between Wakefield and Castleford that they can both use on alternative weekends? Like it just seems like a smart idea to me. I understand there's a lot of rivalry between the clubs, but it just seems like it should work. What are your thoughts on that? Common sense. We don't deal in common sense. Thank you. Um, (laughs) It would make a lot of course it would make sense to build a stadium. So if the two Milan clubs could do it in football, and they hate Mm. each other, and I don't hate Castleford, I hate Leeds, you know, that's that's the, you know, what's the point of hating Castleford? Exactly. Um, Everyone hates Leeds, (laughs) Exactly. But Leeds being rubbish at the minute, it's hilarious. Um, It's fantastic for the game. (laughs) Oh, it's we're all loving it. One, one Wakefield right. won there early in the season. It was superb, one of the highlights of the year. Um, of course, it makes sense to share a stadium. Um, again, you know, Castle have been trying to build a stadium since the early 2000s. There's a great picture of a former chief executive on a digger with a hard hat on that that never got built. So they're hoping that they, they're going to get a stadium built somewhere near the motorway at the moment. Uh, Wakefield should have had a stadium built near the motorway, but there's many various things which I'm not going to go into because I will uh, libel people and get into trouble. Um, so Wakefield are currently trying to redevelop Bellevue, which again has been going on for years, and those of them, oh, there hasn't been the money there in the past, or there hasn't been the the will. There's, there's always a, in rugby league, there's, you know, there's more plans to build stadiums and improve grounds and actually get built because it always looks better to try and plan something and actually go forward and do it. Of course, Castlewood and Wakefield should share a stadium, but the problem is, if you say that, then people will inevitably say, well, you know, why don't you go the whole hog and just merge? Uh, and that's what people are scared of. But of course, they should yeah. say, share a stadium. Of course, you know, many teams should think about doing the same thing or sharing resources. You know, we saw the the two whole clubs sharing the academy for a couple of years before that's been pulled apart this year. So we need to be more sensible in the approach of what we do, but we can't do it because, you know, we all think of the, uh, <laughs> the, the worst case scenario. We don't want, we don't want to merge. We don't want to merge. Wait for forever. Tr- uh, colder never as it was back in the early days of Super League. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because like you get the people that are worried about a merger happening. And I get that completely because they're, Two clubs that when people start talking about rationalisation of Super League, straight away people go, oh, let's merge Wakefield and, and Castleford. Um, but it feels like it would be the sort of move that would actually strengthen both teams to the point where it would take them out of those merger talks so that, I mean, it would be hard to merge these clubs if they can both say, listen, we play at a, a even if it was, say, a 20,000-seat stadium, we play at a, a made for rugby league 20,000 seat stadium that where a 50%, you know, use of the stadium belongs to us. And our costs of, our costs are 50% as well because we're sharing them with Cusford. I just, I don't know. I've, I've always wondered why that hasn't happened. But, um, as you say, there's all sorts of, it feels as though there's so much, there's an underlying fear about a lot of clubs and, and from a lot of fans that they're so worried that they're going to lose what they've got now, that they're not willing to risk trying something different, even if it could be something that could make their clubs so much bigger. People are so entrenched in the club mentality. I don't know if it's the same over there, but when international squads are announced, or you know, more like a few of the Origin squads, because no one cares about internationals either, because we know Origin's the pinnacle, because we keep being told. If, you know, if, if your team doesn't have enough players in the squad, then the, the RFL's against you, Wayne Bennett hates you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and people look at that more than, you know, just getting behind the England squad. We've seen in the past Sam Tompkins being booed in an England shirt because people don't like him because he played for Wigan. But, you know, that's Sam Tompkins, so some people say, well, fair enough. But, it, you know, it's that kind of, we're very parochial over here. It, it's a very, it, it's a difficult mindset to get out of because we do like to moan about everything. We do think everyone's against us. And, you know, for, for most of, well, probably still today in rugby league, you know, the authorities, the uh, the higher-ups, the uh, establishment have been against the sport. But we take that a little bit too far at times, perhaps. And uh, it's difficult to get rid of the victim mentality. Yeah, it's been around for quite a while, too, um, the victim mentality. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's an interesting thing that the talk emerges. It seems like something that is long overdue for a lot of the the English competition. I've always thought that um, the game would would be better off if it had two divisions and not three at the at the pro level, and some teams should just be merged because you know they've been some have been languishing in League One for a long time and not going anywhere above that. Why not merge them with a team in championship and help both sides out? You get a few more juniors coming through, pooling resources, pooling cash. It would strengthen a lot of clubs in the game. But as we saw with Swinton, even the slightest of change and all the fans arc up and they don't want nothing to do with it. We, we're going to stay with this lot until we die. Even if we die next week, at least we're going to die as Swinton and not die as Manchester. Well, Swinton's the obvious example because you've got Swinton, Oldham and Rochdale. Oldham have just been promoted, but Rochdale down at the bottom of the championship with Swinton last year. All three little teams, none of them have their own home ground, all sharing with somebody else. What would be the big problem with them merging? Do they have big enough fan bases to really upset things? I'm not necessarily yeah. sure they do. The point is, you don't like saying about other people's teams because they get upset. But well, you're right. I'm, but I'm talking to someone who actually supports a merged team in Australia. And as much as I hated it when, because I was, I supported the Balmain Tigers, and when they merged with West Magpies, obviously I was devastated. But in in five years after that merger, they won a premiership. It was the first premiership since 1969 for Balmain, and the first premiership for West since the, the 40s. So, and that's the most important thing. Is it's all about winning trophies at the end of the, <laughs> the end of Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're now both of them are now, you know, as the West Tigers, they're now a financially stable club. Whereas in the past, both of them were struggling for a long time. I mean, West almost got booted out twice because they were, you know, close to being insolvent. So it's it strengthened both clubs out. It made them successful, albeit briefly. Um, but. Even now, the West Tigers are doing better than what Balmain and West were doing in their last five or six years before the merger. So it has had an improvement there. We completely cocked up mergers, though, didn't we? In 2000, when we had the two mergers, we had uh, Gateshead had one season. Uh, Gateshead Thunder had one season in Super League, and then we forced to merge with Hull FC to form Hull FC playing in Hull. So having no connection to Gateshead. Gates all Thunder Sharks, that's it. The Shark, the Sharkies, the Sharkies. Um, and, um, you know, they're just whole. And Gates had had to start again. And Huddersfield Sheffield, who again, you know, you, you're propping up two teams who weren't doing well financially. And they're moving to Huddersfield. Oh, we're going to play half the games in Sheffield. Oh, we're going to play two games in Sheffield. Oh, actually, we're not going to go back to Sheffield at all. Sheffield had to restart. And, you know, have done well to get back to where they are. Mm. So they've had to start with nothing. But, 
<laughs> we, we merged these two, four teams into two, and uh, it's, it turns out 20 years later, uh, we still got those four teams still plodding <laughs> around. So it's, <laughs> there's, there's no Balmain Tigers in the NRL, is there? They're not there anymore. You know, there's no Western Magpies. There's no uh, Illawarra Steelers there. They don't exist. But you know, we still got Sheffield and Gateshead now, Newcastle and Hull and Huddersfield, and there was no real point other than to save two quote-unquote heritage clubs who were failing for their own reasons. So we killed off two expansion teams in a sense. Just, yeah, it was just almost. It, it was like a. It was almost like a, you know, those those clubs were going to die, and so they're like, listen, we'll let you do an asset grab, and we'll call it a merger. And it's just, yeah, it's just a bit of a sham. Um, with some of the expansion stuff, I mean, we've seen some some good things happen. I thought that, uh, and oh, I can't remember the, the mascot name that they used, but Gateshead changing to Newcastle. Yes. I thought that that was a good move because I never understood targeting a smaller area rather than a bigger area and trying to expand that catchment area. Um, obviously, London is a bit it, – it just depends from time to time, but it feels like they might have sorted out at least enough of the off-field stuff that they can be a, a bottom-of-the-table Super League club in a good year. Um, we've seen moves to set up teams in Coventry and and we had the Hemel Stags which we've been brought and are probably going to end up being Ottawa down the track um is do you feel as though the rugby football league quietly have some good ideas in trying to expand their national footprint or do you think that it's more individual clubs and businessmen and, and people that are in rugby league doing it off their own back and and they just happen to be you know, doing the Rugby Football League's work. Do you think it's a, a plan, I guess, is what I'm asking? What a very good question. Um, Thank I'll, you. I'll say no, and then I will, I'll expand on the RFL part in a moment. Um, Coventry, a very good club, went down there last year. They're doing things right. They're not spending money they haven't got. They're well aware of their position in the Rugby League pyramid. They're trying to grow the game locally, get youngsters involved. They do a lot of things with local colleges and universities to get students playing for them during the during the season, giving them a pathway into the game. Yes, they don't win every week. Um, they're probably unhappy they didn't win as many games as they should have done this year as they did last year, but at least they're doing things the right way around. Mm-hmm. Um, Newcastle moving to uh, the Falcons ground, Kingston Park, I think it's called. I can't remember now being there as well, uh, and being heavily linked or you know, pretty much under the ownership of the Rugby Union Club, which is, again, is a controversial thing outside of, in the M62, but outside of the M62, no one seems to be that bothered. Um, so they've obviously got the infrastructure there linked with a successful Rugby Union Club in the northeast, in a place where Rugby League hasn't really caught on, so they're able to do that. And, you know, went to the game against Bradford last year in League One, Gave out loads of tickets to school kids. They're trying to get people involved in that way. They're trying to grow things the right way. Um, I can't remember which other team you mentioned. Newcastle, Coventry. Oh, London. 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 London, you know, facetiously, I said at the, the final game of the season, obviously I would need Wakefield to win, so we stayed up. But we had a great opportunity in Super League to get rid of a club that doesn't do anything, the likes of a Huddersfield or whatever. He says facetiously, but perhaps meaning it, uh, and keeping London in. And unfortunately, London didn't show up and lost, so it didn't matter anyway. Um, 
they have obviously been around for a long time now, going back to uh, 1982 in various forms and geysers and whatever. But they are starting to stand on their own two feet. They are, you know, as much as you can do when you rely on a, a benefactor, but they're producing young players, as we see many of them moving north, which can only be good. Um, so London are getting their house in order. I'm not sure if there is a big plan. I don't know if there can be a big plan for the RFL because they don't control Super League anymore at the time being. So they can only look after the Championship League one, the England team or whatever. But I think they have elements of the sport that they can and should exploit more. The women's game is the one that I've been a big supporter of in the last 18 months. I've never seen a women's game until last year. Um, but having watched the game and seen it and thought, this is rugby league, it's not any different. It's, you know, it's just women playing instead of blokes. They still bash each other as hard. And that's what we all, you know, the first thing we all see when we watch rugby league is the people bashing each other and go, ah, mm. this is, this is the sport for me. I'll just watch and not play. So the women's game certainly is a big area. You know, women's sport in this country has never had a bigger profile for whatever reasons. And we need to capitalize on that. And I think we are doing that to an extent. You know, the grand final being played at St. Helens, on TV. You know, it was a great showcase for the sport. Was the final the best game of the season? No. But you've got that interesting story there with Castleford, who, whether it's men or women now, have never won the title. Coming up against a Leeds Rhinos team, who, if the men can't win, well, the women do, which is boring. But there you go. It's <laughs> the, I actually quite like the Leeds women's team, which as a way for fan, I shouldn't say, but, you know... The fun we got with the women's game over here is unlike in Australia where you've got four clubs. We've got eight in our top division. And that's probably too much because there is a big gap between the top and bottom sides. But, you know, it's a sport that's growing. So you can, I can forgive a team losing 100 nil when they're all amateurs. I can't forgive, you know, a men's team in Super League conceding 60, 70 points when they paid 1.8 million pounds between them. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the women's game, which is obviously a big growth area for the sport. And as we saw with the nines, in, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there's some good rugby out there, some good players out there. PDRL is a thing that's come on in the last couple of years, which is just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Physical disability rugby league, people with you know arms missing and legs missing and serious illnesses and whatever, going out there and bashing each other and playing rugby league. It's, it's just an utterly ridiculous spectacle. You can't mm. get your head around it that you know people are going onto the pitch injured in a sense, and just going on with yeah. it and playing rugby league. And, it, and again, it's it looks like rugby league. It is rugby league. Wheelchair rugby league it looks more like rugby than wheelchair rugby does, which is in the Paralympics. There's so many areas of the sport we can grow. I almost think to an extent, and this sounds ridiculous, everyone's seen men's rugby league. It's been on the BBC since the 1950s. It's been on Sky since the early 90s. Everyone has seen men's rugby league. And whether they want to watch it or not is their choice. We need to expose them to as many different forms of the game as possible that they might think, well, you know, I'm a woman. I want to play rugby league. I, I never knew it existed, that kind of thing. Or I've got a disability. I can get involved with rugby league. There's so many ways we can promote the sport outside of our main thing. because And people get worried that, you know, giving all this time to the women, all the money to the women or whatever, we're not getting paid. You know, the coaches over here aren't even getting expenses, some of them, which is ridiculous for a competition which has been on TV this year but there's a chance of that sport growing, there's a chance of the whole sport growing 
people aren't going to take any money away from the men's Super League because women's Super League exists. And I think that's, again, the fear in some people that somehow, <laughs> you know, men's Super League is going to be cast asunder because women are, bloody women, bloody women are here now taking our money and our jobs and whatever. Um, so we just need to, again, it's the fear, it's the fear. Everything in this sport in this country is dominated by fear of our yeah. little islands getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's yeah. weird because it's like adding uh, the women's game and, and the disability rugby league and stuff. It, as you say, people look at it as, well, it's taken away. It's like, no, you're adding assets to rugby league. And you might open a new pathway through the women's game for your men's teams. But people don't see it like that. It, it's kind of frustrating at times. It is. And, and I, I don't know if you can change that. Uh, perspective from people. I, I don't know if you you can change people's mindsets and they're just stuck in the way they've been for 120 odd years. You know, rugby league has always been a sport that's fought against the establishment and whatever. But now we're happy to keep our own establishment and not open up to new ways of growing the sport. And that's it goes back to that thing again. We need to find more money. We need to find more people. And if that's through different forms of rugby league, be it women, be it disability, be it wheelchair rugby league, be it the nines or whatever, then we've got to find that because at the moment, you know, <laughs> if we go back to Bradford, we go back to Swinton, we're going back to the same pots time and time again, they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, one of the successes at Bradford over the past few years has been the women's team. You know, and granted, you know, I perhaps give more coverage than the interest is there, but the sport has so much room to grow i feel it's almost my duty to give it that airtime to give it that coverage because i can see where the world of sport is going and if i can help a little bit in trying to get a little bit of that coverage and a little bit of that money into rugby league although well, you know, we haven't got the money yet but the coverage is getting there then that's a good thing but people are just scared people are scared people are scared of everything and uh I don't know how we can change that mindset. That's that's the trickiest thing for everyone at the RFL, is whatever ideas they come up with, whatever things they do, someone's always going to be scared that it's going to be to the detriment of their club or to them. And I don't know if we can ever get rid of that mindset. You know, we, we've got the, the England Knights versus Jamaica game a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned. Uh, they showed it on the hourly gap, which is an interesting concept. And they, it was the first time in a while they've asked people to pay for it. I think it was four nights nine or whatever to watch a game at home. Um, which to say that, you know, we've got an ice hockey team down the road in Sheffield who were charging 15 quid to watch a webcast the other week of one game. So I'm asking four nights mm-hmm. nine for a, you know, almost international. It was cheap. It was actually five pounds to go watch the game live. It was a special ticket deal or 15 pounds to watch it online, which sounds good. Um, but you know, <laughs> 499 to watch, uh, England Knights versus, um, Jamaica, which was what it was. People were moaning at that because they don't want to pay. So we've got this issue now where we've got an app. Obviously we can get the NRL app. We can pay whatever it is a, a year and watch all the top games in Australia and all the Fox League stuff and, you know, sadly, we don't get the, the footage anymore, so we can't see, you know, casual racism on TV, which we don't get it here in uh, Britain anymore because it's still allowed. <laughs> oh, that, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, I, I used to sit there, because they used to show it here uh, on a, a Thursday night and mm-hmm. wouldn't edit it, and you think, bloody hell, they get away with a lot in Australia, don't they? I know. <laughs> it's like, jeez. 
Uh, a, bit of, a bit of casual mis- misogyny. Get on with it. Yeah, good stuff. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we're we, we trying to rip off the footy show over here and it fails miserably because uh, we haven't got the budget nor the uh, the talent, which I don't know if is, is the right word to use in, involving the footy show, but there you go. Uh, but anyway, if I pay for the NRL app, that's what's going on. I can get all this other stuff and all the various programs and whoever's on there. Former Wakefield target, Matty John's doing his show. Um, if I pay 4 for an app, here all for the uh, England Knights game that's all I get is England Knights versus Jamaica but they show so many games on the app over here um, which I don't really know who's anyone is watching so obviously State of Origin is massive enough so I've gone off on a tangent I apologise State of Origin is no, massive you're, you're all the State of Origin I, I watch it over here because you know it's the big thing let's watch State of Origin um, at the moment on the app uh, this weekend you've been able to watch Lancashire Amateurs versus Cumbria Amateurs Um in front of a crowd of a, you know, a couple of hundred people. We're spending money. The sport is spending money on broadcasting these games live on an app. Oh. I've got no idea why. Cause there's, there's no in- I'm not saying no interest. Of course someone's going to be interested in it. But we're almost just spending money on broadcasting games for the sake of doing it because we can. But we're doing it where we're actually spending money to make it look almost professional like it could be on TV. And I don't see the point. So we just waste money all the time. I've gone off on a tangent, but and we don't we don't get Matty Jones. We don't we don't have our equivalent. We said I don't know well, who that would be to be honest. I was going to suggest um, one person who's probably done more for PD Rugby League globally than anyone else is probably Adam Hills. Has it helped having him having a, a, a you know a big show there in England and having you know mentioning rugby league on it? I don't know. I'd hope it would have because we don't get that kind of. He is, as you say, the the most prominent rugby league media or non-rugby league celebrity person we have because he does play for Warrington and he does turn up at all these games um, and he does talk about it extensively on his TV program and he also talks about, you know, sounds doing well or whatever. Um, We don't have enough of those people. We don't have enough celebrities. It just seems to me that the RFL's got an opportunity right here where they could just say to him, We'll just give you like a small nominal fee for you to just do a few ads for us about rugby league. He's got charm, charisma. He's one of those sort of lovable, happy-go-lucky sort of blokes that everyone sort of likes. Um, he's got a pretty good following over there in England. No, Surely I, I he'd no be idea. a better option than say Johnny Vegas, who I think they had there for a while there. Well, Johnny Vegas is northern, so he, he's one of us. Adam yeah, Hills but... is one of these bloody Australians coming over here. Um, the problem with Johnny Vegas is, and I like Johnny Vegas, a big fan, um, but he's every single stereotype about rugby league. The problem is here, you know, the problem is here, and, and we play it up so much, and this is one of my big bugbears. We play up the stereotype that we are a northern, nothing wrong with that, but we are almost thick, unintelligent, um, basic, simple, you know. Oh, let's take the Mickey out of people. Uh, it, it's it appeals to the last the common denominator, is what it yeah. does. Oh, we certainly do, and, and and sometimes that is okay. But when when people outside of rugby league see something, and it's people acting like idiots or whatever in Australia, you can cope with uh, Bo, what's his name, going around acting the Pratt in various provincial 
towns in Australia. I was going to say Borfaloon, but that's that's someone different. No, Bo um, Ryan, enough. Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan, that's it. Bo Ryan. Sorry, he, sorry, Bo. He's, he's not very wide his bike, though. <laughs> oh, is he not? No, but, like, he, had but, this, but you, he had this small period for about um, two years where he, everyone thought he was funny, <laughs> and so he just kept flogging the same material until people started realising that that's all he had. Yeah, throw a bit more casual racism in there and it'll go down better. (laughs) But because because rugby league's big in Australia, you can cope with that negative stuff to a point. Obviously, you know, there's no, the BBC website had no report on Tonga beating Australia, which is one of the biggest things that happened in years. So, you know, rugby does not break through here at the minute. You can cope with someone acting a prat on TV because there's so much other good coverage of the sport. We have very little coverage of the sport nationwide on TV. So when, if we had, you know, ex-players acting perhaps on TV, having drinking competitions or whatever, I don't think that's a good look for the sport. And I don't think anyone who necessarily turned on the TV and saw that would think, oh, I don't, oh, rugby league, that was great, isn't it? It's a bloke getting pissed uh, and acting a prat. We need to be smarter about our image and I think that's something certainly Super League seem to be taking seriously with their uh, expensively produced videos and stuff. But we do need people like Adam Hills, who are not Northern and not playing up to a stereotype. And obviously Johnny Vegas, I'm talking about the character of Johnny Vegas, not the person. He's obviously an intelligent enough person to have made a lot of money yeah. out of, or had a long career from that persona. And, and he's a very popular person. But when you've got, and I'm going back 20 years now or whatever, but when the BBC do their sports personality of the year which is a lot of shit you know i hate the thing um and this is not an anti-bbc thing i just think the actual award is just completely pointless you know this we're talking about an award when in the year uh sam burgess won the grand final with a broken face he wasn't even nominated um i'm, I'm angry now um <laughs> But, you know, when, when on that program a few years ago, they had the review of the rugby league season presented by Johnny Vegas in his armchair in character as Johnny Vegas. It's like, well, that's exactly what you think of our sport, isn't it? We're a serious sport. We need to promote it as such. Yes, we can have fun. Of course we can. But we can't have too much of the piss taking. And I don't think the people involved, I don't think people involved sometimes realise what they are doing because I think they think they're enjoying themselves and having fun and they might be doing that but it is to the detriment of the image of the sport unfortunately for rugby league in this country we've always always had a bit of a comic element to our presentation uh, because that's how it's been since Eddie Waring was on TV in the 50s and we haven't been able necessarily to shake that fully off at times as I say in Australia you can get away with it because it's a big sport football can get away with having a negative image at times because it's just massive over here unbelievably massive we as a minority sport can't afford to play up to stereotypes of the people involved be they players coaches fans or the media as morons and i think at times that that's the image we portray and i don't think that helps no, and I don't know where we, I don't know. I don't even know what the question you asked was, but that's what I've uh, got no, to. I was, just saying, I was just saying the RFL should look at getting someone like Adam Hills as their brand ambassador. I mean, he's already oh, yeah. doing a ton of work already. You may as well give the bloke a few extra bob and say, you know, do some really targeted stuff and and you know, really really I mean, get us over and across everywhere. Yeah, save the money we've spent on showing 
Lancashire under 17s versus Cumbria under 17s and bung him a few quid to do something. There must be other celebrities who enjoy rugby league who we can get some kind of rub from. Well, get but Russell Crowe over there. He's got one of his Burgess boys going back over there next year. <laughs> and the other one, <laughs> one, of the last... one over here got retired, so he's got one in each country. You might as well bring him over. <laughs> Poor old Sam. Hey, get Russell Crowe. Well, we need some English people for a start because now we're just importing, you know, your lot over here. We've got second-rate Aussies uh, well, on the pitch, and now I, I don't mean to be rude, Aussies. but you I don't mean to be rude, but your lot are doing a real good job. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it's, I, I, the problem is when we do find a celebrity, it'll be some kind of minor fourth-rate celebrity, the kind of person you get on. I don't know what reality TV programs you have over there. Do you have Love Island? No. I've I've seen I, I, I currently comment. I, know I, don't, I don't watch reality TV. Um, so yeah, or, or like not even strictly come dancing level, not even celebrity dancers. You got that kind of person who's t- turned up on TV once on some really terrible show, and because they like Ribble League or they're from Wigan, will latch onto them for about a year because they're vaguely famous. Someone, someone appears on the X Factor from Bradford and, and will make them into the big rugby league star singer at the grand final, even though they're crap. It's, it's that kind of... Again, it's the fear. We don't want to go out and ask actual famous people, so we just latch on to people with the flavour of the month or do anything for a fiver. Yeah, it's it's kind of like... Um... I remember with the Challenge Cup final and it used to be like royalty would turn up and then it got to a point where it's like, oh, this is like the 27th in line to the, and it's the Queen's <laughs> cousins, like something like that. That was always funny. I always think that when it comes, yeah, yeah. I always think that when it comes to, and, and Northerners do this, they're like, oh, look, listen, there's us and then there's the rest of England. I always think that the best way to, to describe it to the rest of England is like, we're not a bunch of drunken louts like you think we are. We love cocaine just as much as the rest <laughs> of us. So that's the way I would market it. Um, I mean, it's to, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very few Premier League footballers get banned for cocaine. That's all I'll say. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, it's just... Just those rugby league players. Just the rugby league players. Yeah, oh, they yeah. get the white line fever into them. The only, you know what? The only time I ever got offered cocaine was in Eccles. <laughs> it was so weird. I walked from, walked from Manchester Stadium. We got lost. I ended up with a bunch of Saints fans because I was, I was... This is 2006. I'm in a Hull FC. You know, I went for Hull FC. Oh, one of the Saints. worst finals of all time. Brilliant. Oh, Brilliant it was fantastic. Time. I sat in the Saints stand as well because, you know, I'm Hold a prick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we uh, ended up getting lost, going into the industrial area somehow. We couldn't get a taxi, so we ended up walking to Eccles. And I'm seeing signs saying, you know, Southwood's coming up. And I'm like, well, all the stuff I've said about Southwood, this should be interesting. And, yeah, I went to a pub with these Saints fans, got off with cocaine. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't say I've ever been offered it, but I obviously go to the wrong places. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess, I guess Wakey is in a big cocaine area. Hey, like, it would be a good, like, what am I doing? I'm starting to think <laughs> of cocaine areas in Northern England. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, speaking of cocaine, the 2021 World Cup. How do you think that yeah. that is starting to line up? Because we've been looking into it a little bit lately, and. It looks like they're trying to spread the games a little bit around, but they're mostly sticking to the north of England. Do you think that the they're aiming for, I think we, were, we saw they were aiming for a million people to go through the gates, and we've never had more than about 520,000 people get through the gates. Do you think that the World Cup is lining up to be a good event at this stage? I know we're a long way out, but what are your thoughts on it? 
Yes, I think it will be. Uh, I think what we've had in this country after the Olympics in 2012, although the country was a lot different place then, is people like going to events. And if you sell them an event and you sell them you know, decent price tickets, which I'm sure they're going to do, they're not going to have ridiculously priced tickets for some of the games in the competition. The way they've spread the uh, venues, mainly in the North, is due to funding from the government. The government have got this thing called the Northern Powerhouse, which is the biggest load of bollocks you've ever heard because the trains up here are crap. Um, so they're trying to make the North sexy again. So they've thrown a load of money at Rugby League, which is good. We'll take that. Um, so sorry, that's sorry, I'm, just, I'm, just still, I'm just still dealing with the sexy North. Well, you know. Johnny Vegas. Um, I'm trying to think of the Northern <laughs> celebrities. Do you get Emma Dale in Australia in Coronation Street? I don't know. No. We just give you our shows we don't like to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Neighbours, over the way. Thanks for that. Yeah. Still got Prisoner Cell Block H on at three in the morning, I think, in some places in the UK. Jesus. Um, oh, it's massive over here. Oh, massive, massively popular. Cult yeah. thing, thing is uh, Prisoner. Um, I don't know why I've never watched it, but... I suppose uh, that, for, for the good. British, it'd be like a a, um, a reality show. You know, we send all these convicts over there. Now let's watch them on TV. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what many people over here do believe that. You know, they, <laughs> they don't believe there was anyone in Australia before we sent all the convicts over. There's Aboriginals. That's we right. don't know where they come, came from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the World Cup, yes. Um, so most of most of the uh, games going to be in the north, but they're going for big stadiums this time, or you know more modern stadiums. Uh, so going to likes of Sunderland and Middlesbrough, who are not rugby league areas, but close enough where if you take a big game there, people are going to go and uh, turn up to watch. Uh, if you uh, take the right games, I think the opening ceremony is in Newcastle, where we're going back for the Magic Weekend at St James's Park next year. You know, look at the Rugby Union World Cup here four years ago, the Sam Burgess World Cup, which was a classic. Um, they sold out Ellen Road in Leeds for a couple of games involving no one particularly interesting. So people will turn up if you price the tickets right, if you make it an event. The people running the World Cup appear to have their heads screwed on. All the events I've been to so far, the launch of the uh, venues, the launch of the, the getting the cockerel back on the cup, have been very well organised. They know what they're doing. And I think it will be a success. I'm going to say this now. You know, We look back at the 2000 World Cup, which was not a disaster. The Team World Cup was good apart from England losing in the semi-final. But, you know, that was, a, I think, a sellout at Old Trafford for the final between Australia and New Zealand um, because they priced the tickets right. They got them on sale early enough, and I think the tickets go on sale soon. I think they're announcing the um, fixtures later this year. So we're going to be, you know, two years out for the World Cup or less than two years out and actually know what's going on because we don't know what's going on with the Kangaroo Tour next year, but at least we know what's going to go on with the World Cup. So I think it will be a success. And obviously Tonga's resurgence is a good thing. Um, it's a shame Australia can't be rubbish for a bit longer, so somebody else could win. But we know Australia are going to win. But we are, you know, it, it's international rugby league, and what, you know, we saw that with England Knights versus Jamaica. Seven thousand people turned up to watch England reserves versus, you know, England D in a sense in Jamaica. But because it had that international element, people went to watch it. So we need more of it, and we need more in the build-up to the World Cup, and hopefully we'll have some more of it. It's uh, it's funny you mentioned the 2000 World Cup and it's kind of something that I feel like uh, has almost been forgotten a little bit by rugby league. I, I would love to do an episode one day. We'd get you on for it for sure. 
talking about the 2000 World Cup because I don't think people understand what an absolute disaster it was at every single level. Um, like not one redeemable quality come out of that World I mean, Cup. Was it, so bad. I was at the England Island game. That was quite good. Um, the yeah. quarterfinal headingly and, and Wales nearly, well, nearly beating Australia in the semi final. But yeah, apart from that, it was, uh, that, the, the abiding image of that tournament for me is the opening game, which wasn't even the England Australia game at Twickenham. It was Ireland versus Samoa, I think in Belfast. You know, of course, rugby league massive in Belfast. They're always going on. They've got the murals on the walls, uh, full of pictures of all the greats of the past. Um, Ireland versus Samoa, no one there. Um, <laughs> Willie poaching goal kicking for Samoa, which as a Wakefield player I've never seen him do before, and missing a goal. And I thought, yep, yeah, this is the rugby league World Cup summed up. No one's here, no one cares, and we're pretending it's a big thing. But thankfully, 21 years on, uh, things have changed, and uh, we might be able to grab a bit of the uh, bit of sunlight this time. Yeah, that'd be handy. I was, it's funny because uh, I remember like a few, few months ago I was talking to Andrew about it, and I was saying, you've got no, no idea how much money they lost. And it was funny. So Andrew starts looking up on, on Google, and it's obviously the thing of, like, it starts off with wearing the <laughs> green before a ball's kicked. And then as Andrew's Googling, and he's like, that was 500,000 pounds. They lost two million pounds. Like it was just <laughs> unbelievable how much money they actually managed to lose on that grand uh, on that World Cup. It was really quite impressive. And as every every six months passed, the the amount they lost seemed to keep blowing out. And going, how are they still losing money? Although <laughs> we didn't have another one for another eight years, that's how bad it was. It was brilliant. Yeah. So exactly what we want. The, the, one of the biggest. Uh, you're right. There's, there's a massive. Um, story to be told though isn't it of it just how big a disaster it was for everything i think that was the welcome we was that the welcome we had the new zealand maori and as a made-up team i can't remember now. yeah yeah uh, it was, yeah, so it was had, the maori so was, i feel like there was another team as well there was the maori uh, i feel like there was another made-up team uh, well, Ireland are a made-up team, but not really. Uh, Lebanon, I've got the list here. Australia, Cook Islands, England, Fiji, France, Ireland, Lebanon, New Zealand, the Maori, PNG, Russia, Samoa, Scotland, South Africa, Tonga, and Wales. S- South Africa was sent so far back, and I don't think rugby league exists over there anymore. Uh, or they're just rebuilding it again. So, yeah, it was, it was a World Cup, which uh, was a big disaster. I think it, for me it was the South African team because I always said because South Africa was like this myth of like oh yeah they play rugby league in South Africa, but I always used to say I swear it's a bunch of rugby union players that somebody gets an email from someone saying they're ready to play in a rugby league World Cup and we're going to pay for expenses and they say yeah sure we're South African rugby league we've been going for ages, um so yeah that that it'd have been an interesting episode to do about the 2000 World Cup but it is it's. It's interesting how far it's, the World Cup has come from that point. Um, one thing, I don't know if you know this, just talking about that for the moment, when Australia, the, the following year, 2001, and Australia, were, they actually did pull out of playing the yes, Ashes series. Now, I've always wondered what uh, Morris Lindsay said, because he made a phone call, and whatever he said to Australia they got on a plane pretty quickly and flew over. I would love to know what he said to them, whether it was a legal threat or whether he said, listen, because of how much money had been lost, you know, from the World Cup and stuff, if you don't come over here, you're never going to come over again because rugby league is is stuffed. We've lost so much money. 
Um, have you ever heard? Who was the player who a, thought uh, the Eiffel Tower was in the north Robbie of England? Kurtz. I can't remember who that was. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we had some interesting. Quite, I mean, remember when um, Luke Rooney in two thousand and three was talking about going to Prague, and he said it was crap because they didn't have any TABs and stuff like that. We've, we've, you know, we've got our own stereotypes over here too, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, pretty... yeah did you ever? Do you do you know the story about that that? That uh, 2001 series where they made Australia come back over. They strong armed them. Only that really pretty much Moise Lindsay sold them on it. I don't know what exactly what he, he said, as you say, but um, he's the one who's given all the credit for him. Moise Lindsay's a very polarising figure in, in British Rugby League. He's almost the Maggie Thatcher of Rugby League here, mm. uh, in so much as you know, driving through Super League and wanting to kill this, that, and the other team off. But he did save that test series, and it was a, a good series. I was at two of the games, uh, the one at the McAlpine uh, Hotel, which we won, and then the game at the at Wigan, which we lost to lose the series. Blame Bill Harrigan, because he refereed the two games we lost. Um, <laughs> it, it felt like we were close for, for a time to the Aussies, and then obviously it's uh, <laughs> fallen away again since that. But that was almost like the resurgence of international rugby league, wasn't it? Because you had the... Great Men had the awful tri-series. We're coming off the back of the Super League war and yeah. all the uh, made-up tests at that point. So it did feel like something was starting again. But that did, I mean, that was the great era of Great Britain under David Waite, wasn't it? Which, you know, now we've got a team which has got six halfbacks in the squad. Um, this was the era of having just everyone who plays is a, is a second rower. Paul Scullthorpe but standoff, <laughs> Kevin Sinfield at hooker. Um, Andy Farrell at loose forward. Everyone's a second rower. Uh, the glory days of English rugby league, British rugby league there, uh, full of uh, all kinds of talent there from across Great Britain. Um, I know they're all English. So yeah, it was a uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. I think that was the start of the resurgence of international rugby league, which hopefully will be uh, not culminating, but uh, heading towards that uh, 2021 World Cup. Did Australia send over a slightly? I mean, ever so slightly weakened side for that because weren't there a few players who were scared of flying? Because it was just after the September 11 attacks, I believe. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. why you, it's all that talk about the, uh, you know, oh, it's good. they could be attacking Paris, which they, they, they didn't attack the Eiffel Tower. Um, I've got the squad in front of me. It looks fairly, fairly strong. There was strong. a forward. I'm pretty sure there was Steve, a prop. Steve, Steve Menzies and I think Nathan Hindmarsh. Yeah. I believe they refused to go because um, they were worried about their safety. There might still, have been others. Still, you know, still, still didn't win Britain, so uh, disappointing. But yeah, and, and that's pretty much been the, that's been the template for tour since, hasn't it? No club games or whatever, just pure mm. test matches. And uh, I don't see that necessarily as a negative. <laughs> um, yes, how, you know, it was nice in the old days. Well, how do you think it'll go with playing the club teams again? Because uh, personally, for myself. And the last kangaroo tour we probably saw was 1994. Um, personally, for myself, I've got no interest in seeing Australia play the club teams over there. But I understand how exciting it would be to see my own club play Australia. Do you think that it will be... I mean, will they sell those games out at their, the club stadiums that they play? They should do if they play them. And this is the problem, isn't it? We're, we're, we're talking about a test series, which is, or a tour rather, which is less than 12 months away. And we have no idea 
what is what is going on uh, with the matches? Um, you know, if they played the Super League champions or whatever, or um, Leeds or whatever, because they always play the big teams, aren't they? I, I guess the problem is you go back to 1994. Our seasons aren't aligned at that point, are they? So Australia's got more time to come over and play. Um, there's obviously differences in terms of flight times were much longer in those days, so it made more sense to spend more time on tour or whatever. I mean, it's looking at the 1950s when France were in Australia and New Zealand for about 20 games or something ridiculous. Um, so times have changed. I, 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 of course, the games on TV, I'd watch them, but I've got no great interest in watching Wigan versus Australia because I think I pretty much know what the score is going to be at the end, which is an obvious thing to say, but how big a squad would Australia bring over for a tour like that? The talk at the moment is Melbourne wants to bring over a very large squad and it's going to be the, the official test squad and essentially what was the junior kangaroos, which is a whole bunch of under 23s. And I dare say that he'll have those under 23s players playing those um, games against the, the club sides, um, which... It should even things out a little bit, but I'd still I'd still expect the Australian teams to to get the wins there, but it might be enough to make sure that the games are a bit closer. Which it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because if you think, you know, the junior kangaroos battering France, and France are obviously in a different a difficult position at the minute. But <laughs> who who gains out of that? I don't know. Would that the, was mad? Yeah, would the junior Australians, the junior kangaroos battering the Super League champions or whatever? How does that reflect? I don't know. When, when Australia beat the teams over here in the 90s or whatever, I think we almost lived in a different sporting world and a different time. I think now if you did have a... You know, I'm looking at the Australia team that beat Leeds here, thanks to Wikipedia, and probably your work, in fairness. You know, likes of Malmeninga, E.T. playing, Laurie Daly, Alfie Langer. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a strong team in 1994, isn't it? So they're allowed to beat Leeds by 40 on points. I'm not saying that the junior kangaroos would necessarily beat the Super League team by that many, but there's the possibility they could and how we'd reflect on that. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see a return to the old days, but we live in 2019 and not 1992. You know, in 1992, Wakefield won a trophy. Uh, we're not close to that at the minute. So I'd like to go back to those days, but it's going to be interesting. I just wish we knew where the test matches were. I don't care about anything else. When's the three test matches and where can I buy tickets? Because at the moment, we're less than a year away and I don't know a thing about this tour. Yeah, and it's crazy because there's there's been this talk about, especially from the authorities, oh yeah, we're bringing back the kangaroo tours, we're bringing them back. And now there's it's there, it's ready to go and it's like, okay, it's on for sure. They're not prepared. Like, what were they waiting for? This should have all been lined up, you know, but, you know, what can you do? Um, yeah, the thing I'm worried about with playing the club sides is if Australia puts out anything more than an under-23s team, like, uh, some Super League clubs, I feel, on their day could get properly smashed. And, as you say, what does that do for anybody? You know, the club side isn't going to get anything out of it. The club supporters are probably just going to be depressed by the end of the game. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and as you say, back when we were doing it up to the, to the mid nineties, the English club sides, I mean, you look at a team like Wigan, Wigan was like 
probably the best team in the world and by a, a fair margin. Yeah. It's it's a it's a very different scenario now where I just I don't know I I don't think there's anything to be gained. I could understand if maybe they played one game against the Super League champions and it was built yep. up and stuff like that, but I don't think it's maybe a good idea to play too many teams. No, I think you need to make it special. You need to sell tickets for the test matches. When when it comes down to it, the most important thing is selling tickets for England versus Australia because that's mm-hmm. the what you wanted to sell for the year after for the World Cup. These are all prep games for the World Cup in a sense. So we need to sell England, you know, unless one of these teams can beat Australia, which <laughs> probably not going to happen. Mm. There's not too much of a, a a positive from many of the games happening, apart from, you know, as you say, the fans seeing their team against Australia. We, we need to concentrate on things that actually have a positive for everyone going forward. Well, apparently the international calendar for 2020 is going to be released in, according to the NRL here, coming days. Well, I can't so, are, are, the, are, the, are, the, are the Australians running the International Rugby League these days again? Haven't they always? We did stop. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, to be fair, I love coming days. It's great fun, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, if only we had... Some kind of plan. Going back to the word plan again, aren't we? Yeah. Everyone needs to realise that every sport, outside of you know things like the NFL, which don't count because there's no international dimension to the game. We're just coming off the back of the Rugby Union World Cup, which has been on the TV over here, and you know people have got excited as we watch it because I've got no interest. But no one cares about the club games or whatever in any much bigger numbers than rugby league. But the big difference is they get 80,000 odd at Twick and are watching England versus whoever. We can't sell out stadiums in the north of England to watch England versus New Zealand. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to put all the focus into international rugby league because that's where you can get more people. Again, we're going back to this, how do we get more rise on the game? How do we get more money in? Internationals. People buy into England. They don't buy into, sadly, Wakefield. You know, mm-hmm. like them to. I like Bellevue to be full every week, but it isn't going to be. But maybe if they go watch England, they, they might think, oh, I might watch Wakefield. Or, more importantly, they might watch the club games on the telly. So yeah. <laughs> we just need to find a way of making everyone get on the same page regarding international rugby league. Obviously, Tonga's took a big boot up everyone's arses in the last couple of years, and we need that to be done to every single person who runs international rugby league. You know, what do international rugby league do? <laughs> why, why haven't they got a YouTube channel with the highlights on of the games? What are they exactly. doing? Exactly. Are they yeah, just having, like me, you know, like in Singapore or whatever. Yeah, and me and Andrew were talking about this on the podcast in the last episode. Like, we uh, we are absolute rugby league tragics, and we're up on like a Sunday morning at two a.m. wanting to watch uh, Italy play Spain. And we're having to search for where the game is actually on. And it ended up being on uh, Facebook. And it shouldn't be like that. You should be able to go to the International Rugby League website and bang, it's right there, right in front of you. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's the, the organisation needs to be fixed up quite a bit from where it's at. And, the, I mean, the International Rugby League website... I, I know that they've got a rebrand and all that sort of stuff, but man, it, it, it does leave a lot to be desired at the moment. It's not, 
it's hard to get it right and it's hard to get it right to a level where it looks professional and good, but it's never been easier to broadcast mm. in this era. You know, how many rugby league podcasts are there out there? I would say too many because there's too many, com- too much competition, mm-hmm. but they're out there. It's never been easier to stream live on Facebook as we've seen with these internationals and club games or whatever. Mm. I'm not sure. I, I don't understand the, the technology completely, but I can get online somehow and I can stream a show on a Monday night from a above a bookshop in Leeds. If I mm. could do it, then there must be someone in the top level of rugby league who can bloody come up with a plan to do it for internationals. And whether it is Italy versus Spain or Serbia or whatever, just do it. Just get it out there because you might yeah. find someone accidentally finds it on Facebook or whatever and watches it. And they might like it on the mic. Just tune on to the next thing. It doesn't matter because if you do it to a basic level where it just looks good, you don't have to spend thousands of pounds or dollars or whatever. If you do it to a standard that looks good enough that people will watch, people might watch it. That's right. And it's only just got to be good footage. You don't really need commentary or anything like that. Just got to be good footage. And, yeah, the last game we watched, it looked like they were doing it on an old, you know, an early 2000s Nokia mobile phone. It's, you know, you've got to get although, better at this, people. Although I will say, me and Andrew are starting to push out the idea that we're available to do commentary for these games if the rugby international rugby league are open to it. So There's no money, I can tell you that. There's no money in rugby league. I know. We, we, we promise know. Not to be, we promise not to have too much <laughs> casual racism either. I know we're Australian, it's hard to ignore, but we'll we'll try and keep it on the low. <laughs> no, I mean, the way this country's going at the moment appears, that might be the future, though, so uh, you never know. <laughs> that might be, the, that might be the, the way I... If I want to extend my career, I might have to go into that, the way uh, broadcasting in uh, Britain's going at the moment. If, you know, a bit of fascism out there. It, it, it does well. Gets the, gets the clicks, get the hits. Well, oh, yeah. you know what? People used to say to me when I'd say stuff about English fans and stuff, they'd say, oh, you're being racist. And I was like, no, it's called xenophobia. It's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, a bit of casual xenophobia, yeah. It's yeah, so there's nothing wrong with it. You know, one of our biggest radio stations in this country, hi, is Nigel Farage. They were daily program. I don't think, I don't think anyone in Australia knows who he is, but he's like this yeah. right-wing... Politician fellow. Pro Brexit personal, anti Brexit yeah, personal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's got a national radio show every day to espouse his agenda on these things. And the clips are all over social media. So yeah, yeah, that's what we need to do is uh, do a bit of rugby league. Let's think a bit of uh, casual, uh, you know, we hate the foreigners in. It's all good. That's, what, that's why no one likes Jackson Hastings and Blake Austin because the foreigners are wearing our shirt and kick them out. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Hey, we're all British Britain, at some Britain point. For British. Yeah, Britain for the British, that's what we're saying. We, we're all British at some point. Oh, that's, well, that's what we like to think, anyway. I mean, if we can have some good Aussies, you know, we'll, we'll take them. But uh, it's like the cricket. I'm, as long as they're good for them, this will happen. I'm available. <laughs> I feel like, I'm I'm I, feel like I wouldn't be embraced by the palms, let me tell you. I feel like they'd be real upset if I turned up and said, hey, I'm English. Hey, they'll turn up to watch, mate, if, the, if it means you won't get smashed by someone. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, when I brought the Salford Red Devils website address, um, <laughs> I I wanted to hand it back to the club in the like during half time. That's one of the things I was going to do. They never got in touch with me about it though, eh? <laughs> I was disappointed. And by the way, thank you to Peter Beatty who, when he announced that they were going to change the RLIF's name to International Rugby League. 
gave me a heads up because I bought internationalrl.com as well. So that's available if anyone wants to buy that off. When when we switched uh, venues for our program, I signed up the Twitter address before changing the other one. It's like, are these people that stupid? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's cra- I couldn't believe. You know what? It was Gavin Wilson when Salford did it, and they announced it, and Gavin Wilson said, oh, wow, somebody should have brought that website address before they made that name change. And I thought that would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? And it was. <laughs> Just trolling, just trolling. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's not trolling. It's just good humour. <laughs> As I say, professional asshole. That's a definite. That's a definite compliment over here. Yeah. I probably probably would be to some over here. Is I think some people would like that as a, a job title. Some people have it without knowing it, but they're all politicians, unfortunately. That's true. Um, one one last thing. Uh, I don't want to get into politics too much, but is there any fear over there that the World Cup might get impacted at all by all the drama with Brexit? Um, apart from uh, people with, uh, I guess, getting into the country, because no, you know what, no one's got a clue what's going to happen. Least of all the politicians. So, I think I'm one of the many people in this country who's just waiting to see what happens, and just there's no point worrying about what could happen because no one's got a clue. Uh, no doubt by the time the world comes on, uh, Brexit will still be going on um, in whatever <laughs> sense. So as long as the teams have their uh, passport sorted out, I mean, this is a problem getting to Toronto, let alone to, uh, to the north of England. So I'm sure it'll be OK. You know, it's being run by the International Rugby League. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, shit. Very, very comforting <laughs> words. <laughs> well, mate, look, it's uh, been an absolute, uh, absolute bloody pleasure having you on. Um, we've had you on for quite a while. We might have to let you let you go and, and earn some coin before Brexit takes it all away. Well, it'd be nice just to earn some coin out of rugby league, but uh, those days those days are gone, I'm afraid. <laughs> have, you, have you got anything you want to um, promote before you go, or, or give a plug to, or anything like that? I mean, you can follow me on Twitter if you want at the RSW. Uh, mainly being sarcastic about things. Uh, you should follow at Forty Twenty Live, which is a live show we do every Monday. It's a podcast, usually lasts a couple of hours, talking about rugby league. Um, we're on Facebook as well, Forty Twenty Magazine, and on YouTube as well. Please watch all the videos on YouTube because I make pennies on the video advertising which is at the moment my only source of income from rugby league, but I do have a proper job. So that's uh, well, our job, which is uh, okay. But uh, yeah, do it, do all, do you know, like, share, subscribe, or like all the people say these days. That's right. Yeah. Get over there, do that. That would be brilliant. Um, thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, no problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Thank we'll you. And, uh, yeah. We'll uh, have you on sometime in the near future. No doubt. Uh, I'd love to do a 2000 world cup episode with you. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm glad it worked in there. That's the main thing. <laughs> and uh yeah we'll we will uh catch you next time on our next episode which is probably going to be in about three hours time <laughs> <laughs>